Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, this is Al Adamson, founder and executive director of the Talent Strategy Institute, and I'm here today with Genevieve Graves of HiQ. Hi, Genevieve. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to be here, Al. <laughs> Thanks for uh, being here. And in fact, we are here together in Santa Cruz, California. We both live in the area, so uh, we have a unique opportunity of doing this in person. And Genevieve's been in the people analytics world for quite some time. You've been an innovator. It's about three years now. About three years. And uh, Haikyuu's doing some amazing things, and you're leading much of the effort. So if you would, if you could introduce yourself and give a brief overview of Haikyuu. Sure. Um, so... I'm Genevieve. Uh, my background is actually in astrophysics. So up until almost exactly three years ago, I was a research astronomer. Um, and I got to a point where I wanted to take the big data tools and the machine learning um, and AI kind of tools that I was using in astronomy and apply them to something that was more relevant for people's actual day-to-day -day lives. Um, so I, I got introduced to Darren Kaplan, who was founding HiQ and trying to get that whole effort launched. Um, and I got really excited about the space and the opportunity. So the domain space was a completely new, new place for me. I mean, I was sort of a data scientist coming in from one field into another. Um, but one of the things that's exciting as a scientist is to come into a field that's just launching. And, you know, three years ago, people analytics was, um, was an idea that was out there, but it was something that wasn't, that was just starting to be actually done in the real world. I mean, Google had a team and Google was doing some of this stuff, but it was pretty much them and then nobody else. Yep. Um, so it was sort of like more like a kind of a glimmer in the eye. Um, so I kind of came into the field right as it was really starting to grow and turn into something. Um, and as a scientist coming in to, to come into a new field like that is an incredibly exciting time because there's this wide open space yep. and almost anything that you could think of doing is worth doing. There's so much to be done. Yep. Um, so it was sort of, you know, I feel lucky in some ways I was able to jump in pretty quickly um, and start wrestling with some interesting challenges. Um, so at HiQ, uh, we, uh, we use public data um, about both uh, individuals and the companies they work for in the job market to um, predict who's at highest risk for leaving an organization. Mm -hmm. um, because often an employer is the last person to know who yep. they're about to lose. Um, so we sort of, at the, at the time that I joined the company, we were, we were starting with predictive retention. We've now branched out to do some other analytics, which maybe we can talk about a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but it just was a great chance to sort of jump in and start doing something and taking these sort of powerful, predictive, um, sophisticated analytic tools and apply them in a new domain. Right. So obviously it's fascinating and not many people out there who are doing this work have mm -hmm. the background that you have particularly mm -hmm. coming from uh arguably a hard science where mm -hmm. stuff is uh predictable in large part however with people analytics we're talking about human behavior yeah and that's less predictable yes. I, I, people are yeah. much more complicated than galaxies <laughs> right. even though galaxies are very big hundreds of billions of stars and they are still in many ways simpler than humans well acknowledging mm -hmm. that um is this something that is um is winnable so to speak and, and if i can mm. might guide the answer yeah. uh 
many leaders that I have worked with and heard talk over the years have been looking for those predictive models and even prescriptive analytics where they're instructed on what course to take. However, uh, others contend that we're just trying to improve the level of decision making, improve our confidence right. uh, in how we proceed. Can you speak to, to that, the difference between you know, having this certainty mentality as yeah. opposed to improving? Yeah. So there's actually a stronger parallel with astronomy than you might think, because mm -hmm. astronomy is not a lab science. You mm -hmm. cannot set up controlled experiments. You're stuck observing what is actually out there in the universe. Interesting. Similarly, with something like people analytics, um, you can't do controlled experiments on human beings, right? Mm -hmm. Neurology has the same problem, right? You sort of, mm -hmm. for ethical reasons, right? You have to take what you can observe out there in the natural world and then try to design natural experiments, you know, to try to come up with a set of observations that'll let you do an experiment. So, so you actually, to some extent, there is that kind of fuzziness of being stuck with what you can observe in the wild, yeah. um, in multiple science fields, whether wow. they're, you know, hard science or social science. Um, I, I think we are a long ways, perhaps we'll never get there to a place where we want to outsource human decision-making to machines mm -hmm. completely. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I view people analytics and the predictive tools <clears throat> that are part of that as being really a decision support process. The goal is to bring better information, better insight to the humans who ultimately make the decisions about how to manage people so that they can make better decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and part of it is that you usually you're trying to operate in a space where you just don't have enough information. Mm -hmm. um, so hiring is a really good example. When you hire someone, what you really want to know is what is it like to work with this person six months from now when they're fully up to speed, fully embedded in the company and the culture, mm -hmm. you know, how effective are they going to be? Right. And what you have is a resume, mm -hmm. right? So you are trying to make a big decision with a complete lack of information. Mm -hmm. So I see the role of, of people analytics, whether it's predictive or just informational, um, as being a way to just bring better quality and more complete information to the table for human beings to evaluate. Got it. So you, you touched on it right there. Uh, people analytics, some would contend, has been around for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And so far as you go back to many of the studies in the 50s and 60s and you study the Hawthorne effect, and then you fast forward and uh, activity-based modeling and management and all, all those things that studied how people moved, what they did, what they didn't do. And now we have a lot of the vendor community technology community, uh, putting up reports, dashboards, and saying this is analytics. And there's others who are doing more advanced analytical techniques, such as yourselves at HiQ, who are also calling that analytics. So there's some uh, debate on what is true analytics, what is really dashboard reporting. So can you draw a distinction for us between the reporting and drill down, drill through uh, tools and the more advanced research oriented analytics that you all are doing? So I actually think the distinction is pretty, is, isn't strong. It's relatively blurry. There's kind of a continuum space. I mean, you basically, you have to start by actually gathering information and data. If you don't have data, you can't do anything mm -hmm. with it. Um, so first you have to start with data and you need to understand where you are. So reporting is kind of is the first step mm -hmm. in that analytics journey to actually gather the data that you have to know where you are mm -hmm. and then to be able to absorb it 
at a, you know, turn that data into information mm -hmm. that a person can consume and understand. Yep. So you sort of have to do that. And that actually is, that's a really important step. I think that that's a place where a lot of employers have made a lot, have gone significantly down that path, right? So they're now I think are relatively good reporting tools. And that is a certain kind of analytics, mm -hmm. right? Because you're taking, you're finding data, you're bringing in raw data and you're turning it into usable information. Absolutely. And to me, that's the kind of core of what analytics is. Mm -hmm. You can then, you know, push farther along into more sophisticated analytic tools. Um, and one of the key things that we've tried to do at Haikyuu is to be predictive rather than just static reporting, right? So it's one thing to say, here's what happened in the past, how can we understand it? Um, and that's useful to sort of know where you are and to think about systematic issues that may exist within your organization, but it doesn't leave you any window of time in which to do things, to, right. to take action, to make changes. Mm -hmm. the, the whole point of being predictive is if there's some, if you can see what is coming or what may, what is likely to come, you can decide, okay, is that what I want? Mm -hmm. And if it isn't, you have a time window in which to try to do something. Got it. So with, with the turnover, the, the predictions that we make about employee turnover, part of the goal is to identify high-risk employees and actually before they have decided to leave. Maybe they're thinking about it, or maybe they're just reaching a natural career transition point, or maybe we just, you know, it's clear that they're highly attractive, have high, great skills, are probably getting very actively recruited. But before they've even made that decision to apply for other jobs, you have a chance to make, you know, to check in with that employee, to make sure that they're engaged, to help talk them through a career path within your own organization so that they have a sense that there is a development trajectory for them mm -hmm. there. And by having predictions before it happens, you have that time window in which to actually do something. Got it. And so what I'm hearing you say is the dashboards and reports is in addition to the more advanced analytics and vice versa. In other words, yeah. it, they need to work in unison. Absolutely. It's an and. Abs yeah. It's an and, absolutely, yeah. not an or. And uh, again, you prompted the thought that you know, the ethics of mm -hmm. what we're doing. Yep. Um, when you talk about knowing someone is likely to leave right. and you go have a conversation with him or mm -hmm. her, um, there might be a reaction about, oh, you know, how did you know that? And, mm -hmm. and uh, can you speak to that, how that is sure. managed. So there's a few pieces to it. So first of all, predictions are sort of by almost by definition, they're probabilistic, mm -hmm. right? So somebody is at high risk for leaving. That doesn't mean they're going to leave. It doesn't even mean they want to leave. Mm -hmm. It means that they have characteristics that put them in a high risk pool. So you certainly want to go into those, all of those conversations, assuming that many of those people, maybe even most of them will stay, right? So when we identify someone high risk, they may have a 30% chance of turnover in the next quarter. Mm -hmm. That's a very high turnover rate when we've identified a population that has that very high turnover rate, but that still means that 70% of them are gonna stay right. that quarter, right? So you have to be intelligent about how you engage with people using this information, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, this is not, it's not a crystal ball. It doesn't tell you it's the future. Yeah, it's right. not certainty. Um, so that's part of it. I think the other piece of it is, you know, the, the, the truth is that most people, in order to get a promotion or a big career advancement or a big salary increase, the easiest way to do that is to go get a job somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and so when people think about wanting the next phase of their career, often that means applying for jobs elsewhere. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that shouldn't have to be true. Mm-hmm. Employees should be able to be recognized for their value, offered a career development path, paid the salary that they can command on the open market without having to go through the turmoil of actually completely changing jobs and changing companies. And in fact, turnover is very costly in the sense that it takes time to get up to speed in any new job. Yep. Right? So it's really inefficient to have people who are switching organizations every few, few years because that's the only way they can get career advancement. Absolutely agreed. And that is a potential segue mm-hmm. into your skill mappers. Yeah. 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 Can you speak to how that helps organizations identify who they might elevate, where an individual yeah. might move. So, so the, one of the new the new product that that Haiku, um, is releasing at the beginning of April, um, we call Skill Mapper, and what it does is it gives a sort of detailed bird's eye view of the skill sets within an organization. Um, and often companies actually have very poor information about this, right? Mm-hmm. So, like a manager typically knows the key skill sets and talents of the individual people that they manage. Mm -hmm. But often the organization has no aggregate level information about this. If they do have data, it's usually the resume that somebody came in with when they took the job and it's sitting as a PDF file somewhere. It's not searchable. It's not really usable. It's out of date because it's maybe been sitting there for a few years. Um, And it's not not data that you can actually ingest or use in any way. Um, so what we've developed with Skill Mapper is we both we again from public data and from resumes we can accumulate data sets. So we actually ha- have a bunch of data that we can even come into customers with, saying here is information we have about your workforce, the individuals in your workforce. But more than that, on top of that, we have built um, a very flexible associative search technology that allows us to then search those skill sets. And this is not just a simple keyword search. It actually is more intelligent than that. Um, It understands what are sort of synonymous skills or skill sets, right? So we know that a computer programmer and a software engineer basically have the same job, but no amount of keyword searching or string matching is going to tell you that those two things mean the same thing, right? So we've developed some, um, some sort of powerful associative clustering technology in the background that allows us to identify synonymous skills or very closely associated skills so that we can, we're not sort of stuck with exactly the keywords that someone remembered or didn't remember to type into their resume or may have misspelled on their resume. Uh, We're actually able to understand what it is that they do. So that, first of all, gives um, employers just a a tool to visualize and understand the skill sets they have in their organization. But then it also provides some very powerful search technology to then find people with specific skill sets. And I, I've had a glimpse of it, and I think mm-hmm. it's fantastic. And and t- talk to I mean, we've been talking about skills, yeah, as opposed to jobs, yes, because there's an underlying assumption historically that we're going to craft a job in the most appropriate way, and that job is going to remain static, and someone's going to fit into that static box, and it's right. not a realistic way to look at the world. So if we're looking at skills to get work done. You all are solving for that over time. It, yes, it's right. Dynamic. So exactly. So the, we're, our, our data, the data that we gather and the training sets that we use to then build out these skill models, we're constantly refreshing and updating that data. Mm-hmm. So it is. So our, um, you can think of it as like a skill ontology, mm-hmm. is built out of current snapshot data out there, right? So if you go in, you know, you pull something off of Onet, right? You can get. You can get a list of, um, you know, job categories and descriptions of the skill sets associated with them. Data scientist does not exist Mm -hmm. in that ontology because Mm -hmm. it's a relatively new tag. Um, 
that's not a problem for us because we are grabbing data about knowledge workers right now. So any job that is represented by knowledge workers right now, we have examples of that in our training sets. So to some extent, we're building something that is dynamic and that reflects the current status of jobs and the skills associated with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually is in some ways worse than that because right. So part, it's not just that job, new jobs appear that aren't in there, but also existing job titles, the skills that you need for them evolve with time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that dynamism of the workforce and of the sort of definition of what people need is, is something that's really important to stay on top, on top of. Absolutely. Now, if I might toggle just a little bit, mm-hmm. because I felt in love with you, and I do not, mm-hmm. I mean this sincerely, because <laughs> you are one of the few people who has ever said openly that we have to be more conscious about what data we're capturing in the first place mm. before we start analyzing this data. Ah. Because many historically are going and just trying to visualize and analyze and make magic out of data that arguably is not appropriate to answer the questions leaders want right. or need to know. So can you speak to the awareness that we need to have as analysts and HR leaders and business leaders in general about what gets measured in the first place? Sure. So I actually, I think that there's at least two pieces to doing this right. One of them is that you always need to be focused on a business problem, mm-hmm. right? And quite a business question or a business problem. What are we actually trying to solve? Mm-hmm. What questions do we actually care about? Mm-hmm. Um, what do we want to know? And I think for people who spend a lot of time with data, it's very easy to say, well, here's the data I have. What can I do with it? Mm-hmm. Um, but fundamentally, what your the organization wants is it wants to answer certain business questions. Mm-hmm. So making sure that the people who are working closely with the data actually have an understanding of what matters, what the organization cares about, what those questions are, mm-hmm. so that they are driving toward something that's actually useful to the business. I think that's a critical piece mm-hmm. of it. Absolutely. The other critical piece of it is is a little bit kind of more theory about data science and how it functions. And I I have some strongly held opinions on this topic. (laughs) You're Um, certainly qualified to have strongly held opinions. Right. Well, actually, so this is is one of another place where actually I think astronomy is actually in some, you know, doesn't seem obvious, but is a really good background for this. In that um, as astronomers, we spend a lot of time thinking about building instruments and gathering data. And anytime you build a, a system, you have certain, you have, you know, many, the different, each component of your system brings in certain, sort of certain amounts of noise mm-hmm. um, or, or uncertainty. And those different sources of uncertainty um, actually, you know, all contribute to your total uncertainty. And they, they add in quadrature, which is a way of saying that you're totally dominated by the biggest sources of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So if you have five different things that you're measuring and one of your error, you know, one of your sources of error is huge and the other ones are modest. If you're spending any time at all trying to improve the ones that are modest, you're wasting your time because you're still totally dominated by your major source of error. Yeah. So for data, for data science in general, 
a way to think about this is that you have different places where uncertainty or poor quality of, you know, can in, in, enter your system and affect your predictions. Yep. So part of that is about how, how sophisticated are your algorithms, but a, in often a bigger part of it is how good is your data? Mm-hmm. Do you have a large enough training set? Are you gathering the right data? Is the data missing too much information? Is it complete enough? Are you getting deep enough data about each individual in your system to really capture the information you're trying to measure? And is there bias in the data? And is there bias in the yeah. data? That's right. And so if you are spending, you have to understand what's limiting you. Mm-hmm. I want to make predictions or I want to do some kind of analysis. What's the piece of my system that's limiting my ability to do that analysis the most? And that mm-hmm. that is where I need to spend my team time and my team resources. So if you're genuinely being limited by the strength of your algorithms, then great. Spend a bunch of time learning how to do the next, you know, the next phase, most sophisticated, you know, neural nets, deep learning stuff. The truth is usually, unless unless you are someone like Google and you're sitting on all the data, mm-hmm. you're almost always data limited. Yeah. Limited by the quantity of data you have, the quality of the data you have, the incompleteness of the data you have. Is the data you're grabbing even capturing the information you need? So given a finite amount of resources, that's where you should be focusing your time. Mm-hmm. It's figuring out what can I do that's going to get me the most improvement in my ability to measure and quantify and predict the things I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost, it's all almost always about getting better data. The fantastic lesson to, to reinforce. And I'm super happy that you're, you're sharing this. And it also just begs the question, um, what's your view on the quality of performance data? You know, many are using that as a linchpin metric to identify the critical talent, to identify those who are going to receive higher investment, uh, the, desired promotional opportunities right. and so forth. And again, historically, there's been very little variability in the data. Yep. And when, right. Every, and, on a five-point scale, everyone's yeah. somewhere between like a three and a four, right? right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and how's that good yeah. for analytical purposes? So yeah, how, and not to mention the bias that's in, yes. inherent in, yep. in that. So can you speak to better ways or is that still emerging? What are your I thoughts think it's about? still emerging. Um, I think the performance reviews as they stand are a start. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that there is some useful information there, and I don't think that people should just completely throw that system out. And what you find is that when people get rid of a kind of point scoring system altogether mm-hmm. and gather other kinds of data like narrative evaluations, they then wind up trying to boil them back down into a point system so that they yeah. can use them, yeah. right? So I think that there is, it's a starting point. I think that you know, moving toward things like 360 reviews where you're not just getting one manager's opinion of the person who works from them, but you're actually getting information about the team around them and maybe the people under them, um, you get a much more comprehensive picture of how, of how somebody is. Um, I think that often, you know, narrative evaluations can contain a lot of nuance and information that's not there on a, you know, a five point scale or a seven point scale. The flip side of it is that extracting that information and making it usable is a technical challenge, right? So if you do narr- you go to all the work to do narrative evaluations and then you put them in a box on a shelf, mm-hmm. that's a waste of everyone's time. Right. You know, so b- developing tools to use things like natural language processing to try to extract information out of those narrative evaluations, I, I think has the potential to be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have to w- worry about how good is your NLP system yeah. and how good are the analytics. When you take that, that, um, that written 
sort of human language based information and you boil it back down to a few numbers, how good is that process? Um, So I think that I think the, again, I think this is a sort of a yes and situation, right? It's it, where it's not about throwing away one system and replacing it with something completely different. I think it's about trying to find other sources of information to pull in so you have a more complete picture. And that gives you a chance to pick up manager bias. It gives you a chance to um, deal with the fact that you wind up, you know, with everybody kind of bunched in into a very narrow range on your scale. But it also gives you a chance to, have think tools like natural language processing be imperfect, yep. um, and so once you as you and you know and I think the other actually place where um, there's a really interesting movement afoot is toward trying to evaluate team teams yep. right and the Absolutely. output of teams because yep. most people particularly knowledge workers they're not working in a vacuum alone and their performance and their productivity is very much about the team and that makes it quite hard to figure out how valuable is this individual um but particularly if you have time baseline data where people are moving around between teams i think there still is an opportunity to tease out patterns again i see that as a yes and so yes individual level performance reviews from people's managers yes you know 360 reviews you know quantitative ones from their peers their teammates yes Trying to figure out how to take narrative evaluations and turn that into usable information. Yes. Figuring out how to do team-based evaluation and have that be part of the process too. Yes. All of these pieces add data. They all add different data. They all give you a different lens onto the employee. And I think the goal is really just to get the best information possible. Absolutely. And what's exciting about this sort of this era of analytics is that there are now powerful quantitative tools to deal with large quantities of data, right? So I don't think we have to be too worried about, oh, well, if we generate all of this data, then how do we how do we aggregate it together? How do we use it? I think there are very good tools for doing that now. But generating that broad picture of the employee, like generating that good quality data that actually captures all the pieces of the employee yeah. um, experience and the employee contribution, that's that's where we need to be putting in the effort. Absolutely agreed. Now, as we start to wrap up here, I'd like to actually begin with the end in mind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's so much that can be done. And it doesn't happen because someone wishes it to happen. Somebody mm-hmm. actually has to do the work. Yep. So for the CHROs and other business leaders who want to get better insight into their workforce, mm-hmm. what are some of the key steps that they need to be considering uh, when creating a people analyst capability. Many want to hire someone and have that individual do magic. Others want to hire a vendor (laughs) and have them do magic. But it takes a a concerted effort. So, you know, in in a couple minutes or so, can you just give a summary, a key uh, two or three points of some of the critical success factors that leaders need to consider to create an enduring, valuable people analyst capability? Yeah, I think that there's there's sort of there's two things that need to happen in parallel um, and then a mindset that you need to bring to it. So the two things that need to happen in parallel is you need to get your data in order. Right. Mm -hmm. If you don't have good data that you believe in or if you're not making the measurements of the stuff that you care about, you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. You don't have the basic starting point. So. What I guess what I would encourage a CHRO who's interested in becoming more analytics driven to do is get that process kicked off Mm -hmm. quickly because that takes time just Mm -hmm. to generate data you can use. In parallel, I think the other really important thing to do is to think about 
what do I actually want to know? What do I care about? What are the challenges I'm having with my workforce? Or how do I want to be able to think strategically about my workforce that I can't do now? Mm -hmm. And to be pretty blue skies about it, you know, not even worry about what's possible, but to say, if I could know anything, what would I want to know? What would I do with that information? Mm -hmm. Because again, I think that you have to start, you know, and, there's disease, and these are the, sort of the opposite ends of the pipeline. You've got to start at one side with act, with data. You've got to have something to be feeding into it. Mm -hmm. But you need to start at, from the very beginning. You need to know what do you want to get out of it? Mm -hmm. What is the endpoint that you're driving toward? What are the questions you care about? Because that's going to influence the data that you collect and what you want to do with it. So I think you need those two pieces. And then I would just say that the kind of critical in between piece is that um, you, need the peop you need someone who is quite technically savvy, who really understands what the analysts are doing and what, you know, understands data, but who is very closely tied into those business problems, mm -hmm. right? So who is working closely with the CRHRO, who knows what the real challenges are. If you have an analytics team leader, who's just like, I like to do cool shit with data, but I don't know. I don't know what the questions are. I'm going to just, I'm just going to dig in here and see what I can find. You're not going to get the usable insights that you want out of that process. Got it. And just to highlight something that you said, you talked about in parallel mm -hmm. because many yep. are trying to get the data right and it's never perfect as you and I mm -hmm. both know. Right. So they never get to the analytics, the actually researching those problems that mm -hmm. you're talking about. So if I heard you correctly, it's a, it's a parallel effort. It's a, yeah. It well, and, and partly you will never get the data you want until you have people who know what they want to do with it, Absolutely. who are working on it. And coming back and saying, actually, you know what, I don't, that's, a, that's good enough here, but what's really not good enough is this stuff over here. Yep. So stop worrying about perfecting this particular data stream, get me this other thing. Right. Because I need to answer this question here, and I can only answer this question if I have this kind of information. Well, uh, any closing comments, and how can people get in touch with you? Um, it's just, an, it's, it's a, fun journey to be building something new. Hmm. Um, and one of the things that I think has been most exciting for me in people analytics is that when I joined the field three years ago, um, we've had our first high elevate event. It was like 15, 20 people in a room hmm. and everyone had this sort of stunned look on their face. Like, Oh my God, I'm not alone. <laughs> right. Because you had these very quantitative, very analytics driven people who were in usually embedded in traditional HR departments mm -hmm. and they were often very isolated and they, their whole mindset was not just different, but was I think really questioned by their traditional HR colleagues. Yep. So there, it was it had this feeling of a support group, yep. right? Like I'm not alone, other people have my problems. Um, you know, fast forward three years and now at our Elevate events, there's a sense, there's a, there's a shared sense of community. I mean, we have several hundred people there and there's a sense that this is the future. That this, is, this is happening, this is the present and the future of HR. And for me personally, one of the things that's actually most exciting is to see not just, you know, thought leaders and practitioners coming together, but seeing master's students show up who are doing HR accreditation programs and they show up at Elevate and they're like, I'm here because I want to be an HR professional in the 21st century. And this mode of thinking, this analytics driven thinking, I see as a fundamental prerequisite for me to do that job. Yep. And that bespeaks, bespeaks just a complete change in the mindset. And I think there's still a ways to go. People are still trying to figure out 
How do I actually then take insights and, and turn them into actions within my organization? Mm -hmm. How do I actually get the business benefit of this new way of thinking? How do I roll this out and socialize it within my organization? So there's still a lot of work to do. And I think most even companies that are thinking quite a lot about people analytics are still pretty early on the journey of turning that into impact for the business. Yep. But the, there's been a sea change in the mindset of, you know, is this possible and is this, you know, and is this, is this doable to, it's totally possible and we are doing it and it is the future. It's, it's a requirement for the future. Now it, it becomes not an if, it's a when and a how, like if, if are we going to do it? Yes. You know, when is it going to happen? Well, we're starting now. How do we do it? How do we roll it out? Yep. That's where people are now. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we'll see you at a future Elevate uh, People Analytics Future of Work conference next week. And uh, thank you for sharing. Thank it's you so much. always enjoyable. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. It's fun. Thank you. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.